Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it is broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival. The 8th annual New York City premiere will be October 2023, along with the 5th annual New York Cat Film Festival before traveling the country, supporting local animal welfare groups. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at TracyHotchnerPets.com. I would not be able to bring you this show without the generous support of Dr. Elsie's the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. This show would not be possible without the longtime support from Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food. Other pet food companies may have copied them over time, but Waruva remains privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards, not investors who focus on profits. As promised, I am back with Curtis Huttenhauer from Harvard. He is the amazing professor who was also co-director of the Harvard Chan Microbiome in Public Health Center. As we talked about last week, they have a study going on that I urge anybody with a cat to please go to my website. I'm going to do a really quick blog about it so you can participate in that if your cat is even a little bit overweight. Even if you've turned a blind eye to it, your cat is a little bit overweight. But Curtis has come back to talk about the issue that is obviously studied a lot at the Microbiome in Public Health Center of humans and what goes on in their guts if they are fat or getting fat or they can't lose weight. Curtis, this is obviously a huge public health problem around the world, but particularly in America. I I was told something kind of embarrassing. I was on a trip abroad and I said to whoever it was, uh, have, you, have you been to America? And they said, no, um, you know, we're worried about the violence, the gun violence, but also about these fat people, it looks kind of frightening. I thought, my God, is that what we're now known for? But in fact, we have a lot of morbidly obese people. And I don't know, how did we get here? What's going on with our culture, the American culture of living or eating? Or is it our genes? What has happened that we're all just kind of blowing up? Great. So thanks. Thanks. It's good to be back, Tracy. Um, Definitely the epidemic of 
weight gain and obesity is is very much a public health problem in in general. There's there's been a lot of great work on it in terms of diet, in terms of lifestyle, and in terms of metabolism, which we can we can talk more yes. about. We've been fortunate enough to to work on it some from the the angle of uh, the microbiome and microbial contributions, um, whether that's via diet or via things like immunity or changing how we absorb fats from our diet, um, both both in, in humans, of course, from the, the microbiome center. And then, as, as you mentioned, in, in some of our cat and dog uh, companion animal studies as well. So in terms of One Health, which is that sort of catchphrase that says what we learn about animals helps people and vice versa, whether it's creating a vaccine or understanding lifespan issues, was it something that you learned about dog digestion and health and obesity because you've done quite a bit of work with Hills, which is a scientific company. It made pet food based on science from the very beginning when it was uh, created. Did that help you at all in understanding human weight issues or obviously the digestive tract or not obviously, but in fact, the digestive tract of cats is very different than dogs. It's much shorter and needs longer rest periods, in theory, based on what their lifestyle is in the desert. But is the human digestive tract comparable to a dog digestive tract? It's, it's more comparable. Um, and I, I'd say a little bit of all of the above in terms of One Health considerations. Um, something that's been really eye-opening for, for me in, in working from a, a, a microbiome center that focuses mostly on, on human health and extending that into companion animal health is that there's a lot to learn in both directions. Um, we can take what we know about the human microbiome and use that to improve pet health. We can take things that we learn from pets who have a much more controlled dietary exposure and lifestyle, for example, and, and use that to learn more about humans. And then even, even our, our microbes themselves don't exist in a vacuum. Um, our microbes can gradually over time get from us to our pets and vice versa. So there's a very direct One Health aspect of sharing microbial exposures in addition to sharing knowledge about how those microbes affect us. So let's talk about metabolism as a, as a word, as what does that mean? Because it's used a lot around the issue of obesity, both in dogs and cats and humans, so that people are told, exercise your dog more, take your dog on more walks. Honestly, as if walking your dog even an extra half hour, walk, 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 is going to take off 20 pounds of fat that got packed on. One doesn't always know exactly why. Or with a cat that you're supposed to have more sessions of wand play toy. I know you're a cat parent and you're like, you know, the cat really is only supposed to play three to four minutes. That's how their brain is wired. So you can't just put them on a treadmill. And with people, there's often a certain shaming around people who are really, really heavy or fat. And they maybe don't even seem to eat that much differently or more than other people. And it's sort of like, well, why don't you exercise more? Whereas somebody who is really good at sitting at the computer and watching television a lot isn't fat at all, and they might eat ice cream every night. So, what does this mean? What does it? What does it mean when we talk about metabolism in our pets or in ourselves? Is it related to the gut microbiome? It's it's definitely a word that that has a lot of meanings, and and especially as it relates to the microbiome. 
um, where you can you can start for the purposes of of say metabolism and and weight gain or weight loss. You can start from the very simple sort of calories in versus calories out concept, which is true as a kernel, but then you you can layer a lot of nuance on top of that, even just from the perspective of the microbiome. Um, we can think about the difference, for example, in if two different people eat the same food, they might extract more or fewer calories from it for their own use based yes. on how their microbes are, are using those nutrients. Um, or their immune systems might be primed in a different way because of their microbes. And so different levels of baseline inflammation can change how either calories are absorbed or how the body responds to those calories. Um, we can think about metabolism as including very specific chemical processes, say um, lipids that are processed right. in the gut and which can then go out into circulation and change the way our body responds to the same intake of food or the, the same thing can be true for carbohydrates and, and things like glucose control. So layered on top of that basic calories in versus calories out equation, even just from the perspective of the, the microbiome, there are lots of different chemical processes that contribute to metabolism and, and weight change in response to metabolism, let alone all the stuff that our own bodies do that's, that's similarly complicated. And it's quite an amazing uh, machine, the human body. We've always known the human mind is barely unknowable. It's so, it's so complex and brilliant. But the whole body and the gut being such a major part of it is amazing. And the fact that Harvard has an entire center just to look at the microbiomes in the body means that there's a lot more to be learned or you would be out of a job, so to speak, or you'd morph your job into something else, right? I think that how little we know is something important to be aware of for us, us as just recipients of food or of information. I think one of the, the odd things is you talk about lipids, which is fats, and although we don't measure cholesterol in dogs and cats, but we very much do in people, we also kind of know we not kind of we know that there's the so-called good cholesterol, the LDL and the HDL in people, and that they can cancel each other out in terms of having high cholesterol levels, lipid levels in the blood. But we also know that there are people predisposed, and I don't know if it's genetically, but you must know this because it's got to be part of what you're you're doing all the time, to have so-called high cholesterol. So one person can have a three egg omelet and, uh, I don't know, buttered all over their toast every single morning and have lovely low cholesterol. And another person eats nothing in their diet because they're on this completely low cholesterol diet and still has to take something to lower their blood cholesterol. Is that genetic? Does that have, Or does it maybe have to do with their gut microbiome? That's, that's another case in which it's sort of all of the above. <laughs> Interesting. There are definitely both. Yeah, definitely both genetic components to that because of how our own body and our own cells differ in their ability to process cholesterol or to generate cholesterol. Um, but the same thing is true for microbes. If, if you think about any of the chemistry that our own digestion or our own cells can do, there's usually some microbes somewhere that can do something similar or identical or equivalent and, and often more types of chemistry and digestion than, than we can do. And since those microbes differ so much from person to person, that helps to explain some of the really different responses that we see be between people. When we talk about 
pet diets and the inclusion of fiber in them, which is supposed to be really good for weight loss in theory. My understanding, totally lay understanding, not something I've done a deep dive into, is that the fiber is a kind of um, medium that the microbiomes feed on. They want fiber. They need it. And then they're happier, healthier, and more plentiful in the gut. And therefore, the food that's going in, I'm, I'm asking, gets digested better, doesn't get processed as stored fat. And is that true about fiber? Because I've always had this idea that fiber is sort of, ooh, just what a microbiome wants, you know, for, for dinner. Yep. I mean, again, sort of as a general baseline, that's a that's a correct starting place. And then there, of course, is a, a lot of detail layered on top of that where you know, we, we, for the purposes of human diets or, or pet diets, think of fiber as sort of a, a monolithic thing and more right. fiber is good. Mm -hmm. But fiber can be soluble versus insoluble fiber. Right. It can be different sources or types of fiber, um, certain types of plant fibers, for example. As microbes digest them, they'll actually release additional chemicals that are trapped inside of a, the fiber um, that can go on to be used by microbes or to, to affect our own metabolism. So just like we were saying earlier, it's another case where, yeah, as a baseline, more fiber is good and bugs will generally consume that fiber along, along with our own digestion to produce generally healthy chemicals. But there can be a lot of, of details and differences around that, that central core. I imagine that the the human food industry, as well as the pet food industry, is sort of waiting, uh, you know, with bated breath to find out what you learn, because weight loss seems to be top of mind for people, whether it's with dogs and cats or themselves, and no one's really come up with a solution. Now, you're saying that everyone's different, so you're not going to come up with one answer, but are you, do you think, eventually going to be coming up with answers that, that deal directly with obesity? I know that there's many other things that your results will uh, help and, and uh, illuminate the causes of and, the, and the, the, the treatment of. But do you think that you're going to, in your lifetime, let's say, because you're still relatively young, although you're a Harvard professor, do you think you're going to have answers that might create products that the human food industry and the pet food industry can use that will actually solve these issues? I, I certainly hope within my lifetime. Um, <laughs> it's probably not a, not a short-term thing, but, but not a, you and, and the audience might have, have heard in recent years as prebiotics, which is yes. a, the concept yes. of yeah, so di dietary components chemicals, nutrients that help to support beneficial microbes. And so you can think of prebiotics as anything that sort of helps the good bugs grow and identifying prebiotics that whether they're dietary components or supplements that support as wide a variety of, of good bugs as possible is right. very much a, an, an active area of research now. We've, we've only had the tools to really measure gut microbiomes at large scale for 10, 10 or 15 years now. So much of this is, is very current and ongoing, but there's already been, been promising results in, in people. We, we hope to move those into animals. And over the coming years, we hope that they'll become more and more specific and more translatable into 
products that that uh, apply to to real people and real populations. Well, in the human health world, even nutraceuticals, or it would only be probably a nutraceutical ever. People don't take many prebiotics and probiotics. They kind of think they should eat yogurt frequently, but my understanding is that even the liveliest yogurt really is not the answer. And with dogs, I give my dogs yogurt every night after their dinner. I don't know why. I think, well, maybe there's something good bug thing in there, but I don't know. I have no idea. And we certainly, there are a few products for sale in the pet world that advertise that they're both prebiotic and probiotic or foods that say they have it in them. But is this still in the infancy, and do we not really know yet whether that's a good use of our time and money? It's, I'd, I'd say it's very promising. There, there is currently a big disconnect between sort of what's available and what's known. Yes. Um, pre, even just prebiotics versus probiotics is a great example where they're often mixed together in nutraceutical commercial products. Yes. But, but they're very different things, and they act by very different mechanisms. Um, you know, prebiotics are nurturing good bugs that are already there, usually via chemistry, whereas probiotics are putting other bugs into the, the gut or, or other oh, places. And, and and often it's tough with something like yogurt, you know, the, the kind of bug that wants to live and ferment milk to, to create yogurt isn't necessarily the kind of bug that wants to live in the gut. So it, it might... <laughs> do some good metabolism. It might help out the bugs that are already present in the gut, but it's just sort of a very different process. I had so that feeling. That, yeah, developing that commercially over the next several years, I think is going to be very interesting as as probiotics hopefully gradually evolve from things like we have now, yogurt bugs that want to eat milk, to more, more targeted uh, what's called live biotherapeutic products, so microbes that are sort of smart probiotics yeah. that can interact more closely with bugs that do want to live in our guts or or our pet's guts. That would be really cool. So that's kind of, that is, is like a target. I don't know if it's your furthest long-range target, but it sounds really good to me, something that has Harvard science behind it and that will give us a result that is actually measurable and at some point feelable or visible in terms of weight or other health issues for us and our pets. Curtis, it's been really a pleasure talking to you again. I really appreciate your seeing the, the big One Health global picture of dogs, cats, humans, all in one picture at the extraordinary Harvard Chan Microbiome and Public Health Center at Harvard, where you are the co-director. And I, and I wish you Godspeed in the work you're doing Come back to us with something soon so we can all eat cake and not get fat. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, I hope so, too. It's, again, just a, a delight to be here. I'm, I'm so glad that the audience is interested in this, and I, I hope we are back with uh, ways, ways to eat cake and be healthy as soon as possible. <laughs> Wonderful. You see that, folks? Let them eat cake. Thanks a lot again. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Wonderside, a company founded and run by a woman entrepreneur who wanted to find an effective natural way to keep fleas, ticks, and other pests away from her pets and home instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes plant-powered products to keep parasites at bay without dousing your pets and property with ingredients that are harmful to them and the planet. 
The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They've founded and run their own company and have been doing that for 14 years and answer only to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, also privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative Dog Chew No Hide and the hybrid dog food Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky blue Weimarano Maisie will eat. <laughs> 